This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. There's an urban legend that Winston Churchill, near the end of World War II, once said, quote, never let a good crisis go to waste. President Obama's chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, certainly said similar words in 2009, after the global financial crisis. Is the crisis in education today caused by the coronavirus an opportunity to make lasting and positive change? How can we be sure not to waste this moment by returning to normal? This time, a lot of people are trying to manage it as a crisis, but I think perhaps um, we should get our mind beyond the crisis to look for the opportunity that lies within it. I think it exposes a lot of lot of uh, issues with traditional education, like, uh, for example, our students are not that self-determined, self-directed learners. When they are on their own, can they learn how they learn? I think we need to, lifelong learning skills have become more important. Young Zhao joins me to talk about educational change in the time of COVID-19. He argues that we must change the yes-but attitude to a yes-and collective approach. We must be innovative and work together to redesign education systems into something new. He's hoping to see more self-directed learning emerge out of this crisis, as well as a shift towards the humanities and philosophy. Education thinkers to begin to think about how do we deal with the honest the collapse of a globally connected humanity in the future? How can education shift away from simply educating economic competitive beings like OECD has been promoting? PISA means nothing unless human beings learn to respect each other, to create value for each other, to be dependent on each other, to understand that we are in this together. Young Zhao is a foundation distinguished professor in the School of Education at the University of Kansas. His newest book is entitled Teaching Students to Become Self-Directed Learners. Young Zhao, welcome back to Fresh Ed. Well, thanks, Will. Happy to be back. So let me ask you a question. When did you realize that the pandemic was going to have a major impact on education? Well, uh... It was a while back, I think in uh, January, uh, I wrote a blog post to say, what if uh, this is going to force schools to close for one year or more than a year? And at that time, I was really more thinking about it as a thought experiment. I bit that blog post that asked people at the major conference, you know, so somewhere January, February, that was a good time to, to start thinking about this. Yeah. And I mean, now, obviously, that idea of closing schools for one year doesn't seem too far fetched. Doesn't, right? I mean, it's uh, a lot of schools think about, you know, opening next year. It's uh, it's not too far uh, distant, which was unfortunate prediction. Yeah, yeah. So now as we sit here thinking about, you know, what this means for education, and I think a lot of us have more time on our hands as we're self-isolating all over the world. What do you think some of the most important issues are that we as education researchers, educators, teachers, what should we be considering going forward? Well, I mean, I think, you know, there are really two sets of issues. One is uh, how do we uh, rethink about uh, education? And this time, I mean, really, I think it's uh, it is a crisis. Uh, A lot of people are trying to manage it as a crisis. But I think uh, perhaps um, we should get our mind beyond the crisis to look for the opportunity that lies within it. I think it exposes a lot of lot of uh, issues with traditional education. Like, uh, for example, our students are not that self-determined, self-directed 
active learners and they, when they are on their own, can they learn how they learn? I think we need to lifelong learning skills have become more important. Another part of issues with uh, the exposure of uh, massive inequity, you know, in different homes, different families, people are really becoming to realize home environments, uh, even though research has shown that for a long time that home environments matter. And now, but suddenly we discovered it truly matter and matters a lot. We come to live with those things in live encounters. People have, to, you know, not only uh, they don't have access to the equipment, to the connection, but really to the home environment support. So, so this is a, is a very important. But there's another set of issues that really deeply concerns me is what the pandemic has shown is the, um, how humanity really has not been taught in schools. You know, I think you look at the, the ugly side of politics. You know, you said the rise in xenophobia, racism, and isolationism. And this is, uh, is quite unfortunate. I think you said the politics and politicians play. But again, I want to say politics and politicians were a product of schools too and our voters. You know, how come we have not managed that well? I'm very concerned about the social disintegration after this, the rise in clash among different groups, among different people. So uh, I'm really thinking about how education has lost that battle in teaching about human interdependence. Well, we were focused on STEM, on numerous and literacy. We forgot another major thing education is about uh, educating human beings. So do you honestly think that, um, what, you know, this pandemic will really start forcing schools and education systems generally to shift away from the focus on STEM to, say, the humanities? Do you think that will actually take place? No. Are you hopeful? No, it won't. It <laughs> won't. Okay. There, there is. So what, what I, I took is that I remember several years ago, people asked me to write about the future of education. I said, well, you want me to write as a forecaster? Or you want me to write as an interventionist, you know, as an intervener, you know. And I think the last week on our show called Silver Lining for Learning, Chris Didi out of Harvard said the same thing, said, okay, we're here to not to forecast the future, but to create the future. So what you were describing is what I wish we could create. I think that's why maybe we're doing this podcast. That is, we. Mm. I want to say, okay, let's take actions. I don't think by and itself is going to happen necessarily unless with efforts to say this, let educators, education thinkers to begin to think about how do we deal with the honest the collapse of a globally connected humanity in the future? How can education shift away from simply educating economic competitive beings like OECD has been promoting? And we need to rethink about really, you know, PISA means nothing. You know, honestly, all those kind of things, all the test scores means nothing unless human beings learn to respect each other, to create value for each other, to be dependent on each other, to understand that we are in this together. It, it does make me think, you know, the PISA scores that came out not too long ago, they really seem irrelevant right now during a pandemic. Like how many people are honestly talking about PISA? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's right. And it's, it's also stupid. You know, it's also now if you look at the uh, the PISA scores, if those countries truly had good education, you know, uh, what what does that mean? Are they become more globally concerned? Are they really contributing more to humanities? You know, all those things. I think it's uh, this pause into question of PISA. PISA has been driving the, you know, global economy and the knowledge economy for too long. It's uh, there's, there's some of the global humanity, the global society, the global community is a better term than global economy. 
In your newest blog post that you just posted uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday, uh, you talk about this idea of educational change and how we need to move the conversation from yes, but to yes, and. What do you mean by this idea of, you know, approaching educational from this with an attitude of yes, and? Well, I mean, I think it's it's the, the idea is that I'm sure where you run into this, you know, on your show and in many other occasions, we have a lot of people say we agree education needs to uh, have a big change, a paradigm shift and to do this. But so we have all these reasons to say, but we our leaders don't support it. But our government is stupid. But we have the stupid test. But students have to go to college. But, you know, but we don't have the money. All those kind of things. And, but parents may not like it. My view is that all the buts are workable uh, problems. So let's say, okay, how about we say yes and let's do something about it. I think that's really the, the major thing. I think a lot of the uh, obstacles are either imagined or real, but either way, we, if we want to make change, we have to take action. So so let's not wait for somebody else to take the actions. I think a lot of times I have that conversation with the people. I do hear a lot to say, you know, how to change the system, which is like, you know, how do you change gravity if you want to fly? You know, just, <laughs> why, why would you even ask that question? It's not going to change, you know, unless we take action. You know? Right. But one thing I worry about is is change in more of the negative direction, right? So like after the 2008 financial crisis, there was lots of change, say, particularly in the higher education sector in America, where funding really dried up for a lot of state universities and had other impacts in, and on other levels of, of higher education as well. So, you know, how do we do the yes and for educational change, but in directions that are actually positive rather than perhaps having these negative long-term consequences like happened after the 2008 financial crisis? Well, I mean, I think in a big thing, well, that is to say, okay, who is making those decisions? Can we influence? When I say, you know, there's no guarantee it's going to be for the necessarily the positive. The only says, okay, people with the positive change mindset, people with those good ideas need to take action. If there are more people taking action in that direction, you probably get that, you know. And if we just worry about those people are going to make negative, you know, decisions and there's no one to combat them, that's going to happen. At least we, we have a chance to try. I, I don't think we have, there's anyone can guarantee the outcome, but, you know, without trying, we can be sure of the outcome that's going to be negative. And what would you say to parents that are, you know, at home trying to work, trying to take care of their children, trying to teach their children through all these online methods that have sort of emerged very quickly of late, you know, for parents trying to just sort of survive this pandemic, you know, how can they also be part of this educational change that you're talking about? Well, that, that's a parents absolutely, absolutely, absolutely one of the most important you know, elements of this change. I think, uh, uh, there are several things. One is that I think all parents uh, should be think about um, what education is, not what school is. You know, not think about their children's job is to comply with school demand, but to think about what kind of education their children actually need. And they need to think about, I think parents in different countries now realize that maybe the homework, you know, schools ask kids to do 
is not that meaningful. You know, it's just that maybe children can, you know, family connections, understand that community may be more important. And also for some families, their children who haven't doing well academically, I think they're not our parents. Maybe they need to rethink about maybe that's not as important. Also need to think about, you know, uh, right now, if they want the education that they know, if there's one education they want, they have not been happy, it's time to take action. They have kids at home. They can work with schools. They can renegotiate this. You know, I think in crisis mode, a lot of things are more possible. So I think parents need to think about, you know, again, what a good education is. That's right. You know, it, it also makes me think about um, one of your friends and colleagues, Posse Sauberg, and his new book with William Doyle, who I've interviewed both of them for this show previously all about letting children play as a as a real form of learning and education and it's it seems like such a simple idea but yet it is actually quite radical and i i wonder is the pandemic a moment where we can really try and embrace that idea of just letting children play well i think i'm sure uh, Pazzi, uh has said a lot more than the typical understanding of play i think you know again that that's uh, there is some interesting things about play so i i would like to say yeah let's play and i'm you know in many ways you and i are playing with ideas mm. we are playing with the possibilities i think a uh, lot of times you know like some people may think play simply be watching youtube video as play you know you know i think play is active engagement in, in certain activities you invent the rules you play with a group play with the other people you play with concepts you try to advance i think i think sometimes you know they you know i love the idea of play but the, you know like another person wrote a really wonderful book called lifelong kindergarten uh mitchell resnick can talk about uh, every school should be like kindergarten you know just these things i think mm. it's uh it's definitely valuable but anything Pazzi writes i i would endorse you know so a very wonderful <laughs> thing that you talk to Pazzi, and I, I think it's a it's a good approach but the idea you know many people have been advocating play i i do kind of a bit concerned a lot of times that could be misinterpreted as some just let go, you know, with whatever. Yeah, right. So there, it need, there needs to be a little bit of structure built into it as well. Yeah. You know, as as we sit here and we think about what education is going to look like and we, we imagine what education is going to look like um, in the future, a lot of it, a lot of the learning that has uh, taken place is now online. You know, online learning has become a very popular um, mode of instruction at this point. In your opinion, is there anything that worries you about online learning? Oh, a lot. You know, I mean, I think it's, uh, again, I wrote several blog posts about this. It's uh, So my view is this, is that uh, I'm a, a practical, you know, person to say, well, right now, if online is the only thing we have, let's make the best of it. Online can never replace, you know, physical schools and physical schools cannot be online anyway. You know, that's why I wrote this whole series called Tofu is Not Cheese. You try not to make it, uh, you know, they're the same. I think a lot of things you can worry, you know, first of all, like uh, just having children staring at the screen for 10 hours, that's, you know, just deep concern. Second thing actually worries me the most, actually, is uh, our children have not been inducted or helped to live, socialize, learn online. I think a lot of that, you look at our schools, we've been talking about digital competency, all those things, but we've seldom modeled that. I call this as a digital world, it has its own culture, its own ways, but our children have not been socialized in doing that. So a lot of times the way to learn, it's a different norm. How do we learn there? It's, it's very important. I think that's another piece. When our children are not uh, really helped uh, or develop those uh, ways of wisdom to manage devices, manage time, manage friendship, manage how, you know, understanding 
what's fake news, what's not. I think that's very concerning to me. So this may be a good opportunity to help our children cultivate the competency we need, the the wisdom we need to live in a digital world. Mm. I li- I really do like the idea that you know in these times of crises there there are opportunities to think differently going forward. You know, and and what worries me, I guess, is is going back to the original blog post that you wrote in January about you know contemplating the idea of having schools closed for twelve or eighteen months. You know, it seems to me that this is going to cause a lot of stress on families to manage. The schooling or the education of their children, manage paychecks, manage getting food on tables. So, you know, in what ways can we begin to mentally prepare for this long haul that we're probably going to have to to live through and and exist in as we wait for some of these social institutions that are so vital to families and communities come back online? Well, I think, you know, we talk about resilience, we talk about hope. I think this is the time to really learn about this. It's a you know, human beings have gone through this massive wars and big decline, disasters, the, you know, influenza of 1918, you know, we've gone through this, but, you know, hopefully we can manage it better. But I think this, that's why the, at this time we need to unite to think about, to help others, to understand a lot of times how fortunate we are, how we can create value for others. This is a great education lesson for humanity, you know, just it's a, I think the, the big thing, how do we get through is really hope and creativity, right? I mean, just, you know, a lot of social institutions, uh, economic institutions have been disrupted. Lots of people have no jobs. We're going to see um, more food shortage. We're going to see medical supply shortage. We're going to see economical downturns. We're going to see uh, entire rent industries being wiped away or dramatically shrinking. But there is hope, you know, the hope relies how, how creative we can be as individuals and as collectives how, how do we how do we use this opportunity to rethink and that is not right honest right now uh, seen a lot at the political leadership level that's why i hope youth voices uh, children students they will rise to lead to think you know and another thing i hope this will wake up uh, a lot of educators who have been overly practical uh, in many ways, trying to you know, you, you know, in education, we have been for the past several decades trying to become more mechanical, more technical, trying to get our, to assess every point, to examine everybody, to hold everybody accountable, to treat teaching as a mechanical dispensing of knowledge or information, not trying to make it a humanized activity. I think education, we need a lot more, honestly, philosophers, than so-called evidence-based people. We got to, you know, the evidence-based uh, movement has been a very big problem, you know, just to say, you kept looking for evidence, but uh, evidence of what? You know, that's why I wrote the book called, you know, What Works May Hurt. If you only look for evidence, what works, but if it hurts, you still want that. But more importantly, the traditional research, you know, we talk about RCT, Randomized controlled trials, the golden standard of research, does not lead you to a better future. You know, does not need medicine. It only verifies if it works. You know, so I, I think we need to really, we need the philosophers, we need big thinkers in education. Another big issue, of course, come to education research. I have a lot to say about it, is that you look at education researchers. We are only researching what's possible with the existing confinement. We study teacher-student relationship. You imagine one teacher with 25 students in one classroom with the same curriculum. But that's artificial. If you change the organization, the arrangement, 
It changes, right? If we're only studying about how leadership matters, but you're still leadership leading in one school, but once that change, it changes. So I think we need a lot more reimagination, more hope. Mm. Well, I, I hope that you are right that this pandemic will sort of engender a lot of these new ideas, create the conditions under which new ideas can emerge and hopefully put into action. So I'm, I'm with you on the yes and philosophy here going forward. Young Zhao, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed again. Always a pleasure to talk and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Well, good luck. And by the way, as I, I wrote in my last book called An Education Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste. I think a lot of education system has been getting worse because we go after PISA and other test scores, other mechanical improvement. We need to rethink about this, not waste the crisis. So we have a double crisis, you know, the COVID crisis and the long-standing education crisis. I hope we all through your, your voice and we will be able to come up with a better future. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope so too. Young Zhao is a professor at the University of Kansas. His newest book is entitled Teaching Students to Become Self-Directed Learners. He is also a co-host of Silver Lining for Learning, a live broadcast on YouTube that explores the future of education. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Hong Zong, Lushik Waba, Fatih Akhtas, and In Jung Cho. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, NORAG, and listeners like you. Please consider becoming a monthly sponsor of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com support. All U.S.-based donations are tax deductible. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.